Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Alrighty, well we are going to begin a study here at the beginning of uh, David's later life. Um, beginning in First and Second, uh, excuse me, Second Samuel chapter one and two. So, if you want to go ahead and open up your Bible tonight to Second Samuel, and we'll begin in chapter one and go just a little bit of the verses in chapter two tonight. Uh, but Second Samuel picks up David's life uh, at at the end of um, a couple of battles that happened in First Samuel, and so Saul has died, and he's now going to be the king. But there's still some things going on before that. Uh, and some things we can learn from David's life as he is in this period of time uh, before he becomes uh, the king completely and fully. So there's a lot happening, and, but we're picking up in his later life here uh, in 2 Samuel. So 2 Samuel chapter 1 and 2 this morning, or this evening, excuse me. <laughs> I know what time it is. It's dark outside, y'all. See, it's like writing 23 at the end of the date when it's actually in 24 now. But we'll be looking over that this evening. Let me ask you this question. You don't necessarily have to answer it out loud, but just something to think about here. Have you ever received uh, really bad news when things are going really well in your life? You've had like a really good time or something's really going well in your life, and and then someone gives you some bad news. That happens quite a bit. Well, how about the opposite? Have you ever been going through a really hard time, but then someone comes and gives you some really good news uh, in the midst of that? We have these moments in our life that happen uh, whenever, we may, we may call them bittersweet moments. We may call them things where, you know, there's some good news that's come or something exciting that's happened, um, and it's hard to fully celebrate the way we would uh, because there's also maybe a mixture of hard times at, at happening together at the same uh, instance. And so that's the situation, though, that, that David is in uh, as we open up Second Samuel. And we need to remember that God is at work at all things in our life. He is working all the times, even in these moments of our life. We may call them the bittersweet moments of time. Uh, I like this quote here. It was in the study, but um, Jim Dennison, who's the founder of Dennison Forum for Truth and Culture, made a statement that said, God redeems all that he allows. God redeems all that he allows. So just thinking about that for a minute, what does what that phrase kind of help us to or how can that phrase kind of help us maybe to understand some of those bittersweet moments of life? God redeems all that he allows. Okay, sovereignty of God that he's working all the time. He's in control. Hope. Yeah, there is hope. That's right. It's a good word. Say it again. Still has love for us. That's exactly right, too. Yeah, and so in, in the midst of those things, we can kind of remember uh, those things as well, and it, it kind of helps us at least understand or begin to understand in those, in those things. So David here at the beginning, like I said, is in a bittersweet moment of his life. Saul was killed in battle. He killed himself. We'll look at that in a minute. In battle. And so that really means that now David's the king. 
I mean, he's been waiting for it for quite a while. He was anointed as a, as a young boy, and he's been waiting quite a number of years for that to happen. And he will be the king, uh, but not yet. He's still kind of in a waiting period. Um, and, but David's heart for God causes him to look at this situation in a different light. He has good news that maybe this waiting period for the kingdom is over, but he also has the realization that Saul has died in battle, Jonathan has died in battle, and so there's a hard time uh, happening altogether. So um, even though Saul sought to kill him on a lot of occasions, David actually recognizes, we're going to see that tonight, that, that Saul was God's anointed ruler. He was the one that was supposed to be there uh, according to God. And so uh, even though Saul was an enemy, so to speak, uh, he still needed to uh, honor Saul uh, and love him the way that God would love him as well. And so we're going to look first at David receiving some tragic news. And I'll have Ray read for us 2 Samuel just 1 through 16, first of all. Okay. 2 Samuel 1 to 16. All right, it says, starting in verse 1, Now it came about after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, that David remained two days in Ziglag. On the third day, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul, with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And it came about when he came to David that he fell on the ground and prostrated himself. Then David said to him, From where do you come? And he said to him, I've escaped from the camp of Israel. David said to him, How did things go? Please tell me. And he said, The people have fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? The young man who told him said, By chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, Gilboa, and behold, Saul was leaning on his spear, and behold, the chariots and the horsemen pursued him closely. When he looked behind him, he saw me, and called to me, and I said, Here I am. He said to me, Who are you? And I answered, I'm an Amalekite. Then he said to me, Please stand beside me and kill me, for agony has seized me because my life still lingers in me. So I stood beside him and killed him because I knew that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown which was on his head and the bracelet which was on his arm, and I have brought them here to you, my Lord. And I'll, I'll stop you there real quick. Okay. Let's just look at those verses. I know I said we we're going to go all the way to 16. We'll pick up in just a minute there. But So, so here we have uh, the, the beginning of this uh, story here from this guy. And uh, what's the purpose of him coming to David with dust all over him and his clothes torn? What's he trying to show? Mourning. He's trying to show mourning. He's trying to show anguish here. Uh, and he's given this story about how... He's found Sam, uh, Saul and, and, helped, and killed him because he was almost dead and different things are going. He's given this kind of report to David of what's going on. And um, you can find this, and we won't read it tonight, but you can find this in 1 Samuel chapter 31, the very last chapter of, of 1 Samuel. Saul uh, had actually been wounded by arrows. Have, have you remembered this? Maybe you've taught this in Sunday school or heard this before. He'd actually been wounded by arrows from the Philistines and um, had actually asked his armor-bearer to kill him first. And the armor-bearer refused. And so Saul actually committed suicide. Mm -hmm. He fell on his own sword. So already we're seeing this guy right here has got a contradictory uh, story to what Scripture records, not only in 1 Samuel 31, but also in 1 Chronicles 10. There's, a, there's an account of the same event. We've got uh, a contradiction here. So what, what is the purpose of this guy coming here and telling David this? 
probably felt like he was going to get rewarded, or he's, he's bringing some good news to David that he's feeling like he can, he can get something out of it himself. I, I think that this guy is definitely lying, because his account does not match Scripture, and Scripture does not contradict itself. And so when we look at the two accounts, not only in 1 Samuel 31 and then 1 Chronicles 10, uh, we find that this guy's basically said a lie uh, to him. He did have the crown and bracelet, which means he probably did come upon Saul after he was dead. He was in the company, or he found him. It was Probably not too long after Saul had died. Yeah, he's trying to make himself look noble. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I, I killed, I, you know, he was almost dead, and I, you know, I stepped in and, and, yeah. and, and put him out of his misery type of thing, and now I'm here with his crown and his bracelet, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm yeah. the noble man. Right. He's trying to make himself look really good here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, John, yes, yes. And Jonathan was killed. And then he doesn't, and you notice that in his account, he doesn't talk about Jonathan at all. No. He gave an account about Saul's death. But he didn't say anything about Jonathan. So, but yeah, that is true. He was a good friend. We'll see that again in a minute, too. Okay, go ahead and pick up there at verse 11. Let's read the rest of these opening verses. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so also did all the men who were with him. They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I'm the son of an alien, an Amalekite. Then David said to him, How is it you were not afraid to stretch out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go cut him down. So he struck him and he died. David said to him, your blood is on your head, for your mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Yeah, so here's this guy, and I think yeah. we've pretty much established that he's an opportunist, mm-hmm. <laughs> looking for favor from the new king. Perhaps he knew that David would be the next king, or he just kind of figured that was going to happen or whatever. And anyway, he just he was looking for an opportunity. And I don't think he expected the response at all. Could you imagine just for a minute here, here's this guy and he's like ready to get his reward and all of a sudden David and these, it's like 600 people that are with him, warriors, and they're all immediately mourning too. Well, you know, David was, and we'll get to it a little later, but David was really big on touch not the Lord's anointed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was something that was very important to David. Yeah, mm-hmm. Saul was after him. Yes, Saul was trying to kill him. But at the same time, he wasn't going to, he saw Saul as being God's man at the time. So yeah. he wasn't going to touch him. And now this guy, yeah. according to his own testimony, had. Had, so exactly. Dave, David wasn't going to put up with that. Right, yeah. And that actually, we're going to get that too. It mm-hmm. talks about his heart there a little bit. But, uh, you know, if you go back again and, and read it, maybe later today, tonight or tomorrow or sometime, you can go back and read that account of First Samuel 31. You'll find out that the armor bearer himself was asked, and he was afraid to do mm-hmm. it too. He was afraid to touch the Lord's anointed as well. So, so there is this understanding that David had, uh, and this man took a took a risk, but this man was lying. Uh, there's no indication that David tried to find out whether the guy was telling the truth or not. He just said, "Hey, you're you testified against yourself. Mm-hmm. Your blood's on your own head, and this is what it is." But they all went into mourning, and they were mourning, truly mourning, the loss of the royal family. Because we'll learn, you, you'll see later in other accounts and other things of this that Saul was killed, or Saul killed himself, Jonathan was killed in battle, and there were like two or three other sons of Saul that were also killed in the same battle against the Philistines. 
and they were all out there uh, fighting them. Now, David was not in that battle, uh, and you'd have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 30 uh, to see that. David was in a different battle uh, against the Amalekites, the, one, the, the man here who came. Uh, because if you go back and read it, the Amalekites, while David was away from the city of Ziklag, they had come in and taken all of the women and children and other things uh, from that city. That's where David was hiding out during his exile from, from Israel because he had left because of Saul's treatment of him. And so David was at that city, and while he was out, uh, these Amalekites came and took everything and went away, and so David had to go ahead and, and uh, fight against them. So David was in a completely different battle just prior to this account here in 2 Samuel. And he had also defeated a lot of people and brought back all of his possessions and wives and children and all of his men's things as well. And so David was not in the battle that was happening here. But uh, he does have this period of mourning and calls on all of these men to mourn with him. And then the mourning period is over. We saw that. Uh, and, and the guy gets questioned a little further. And I think mm -hmm. he's probably smiling. He's probably happy, like, here comes my reward, you know, and I'm ready for it now. Uh, and as you mentioned, David wouldn't even kill mm -hmm. Saul. He had two opportunities. If you go back into First mm -hmm. uh, Samuel, he had two different opportunities where he refused to kill the Lord's anointed and said just kind of cut a little bit of his clothing off and stuff to prove that he could do it. And stood, stood, what, he stood across the, the creek later mm -hmm. that day and started waving his yeah. part of his, his garment <laughs> His robe or whatever, yeah. Whew. That would have been scary. But, you know, David had a different heart. He had a heart mm -hmm. after God uh, rather than a heart like others. Uh, and so um, David here uh, recognized the, the Lord's authorities in his life, and he did not take matters into his own hand uh, and kill Saul. And so two things, really, to kind of think about this, all right? David is recognizing Saul as the anointed of God. You know, he was the enemy, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, he tried to kill David on many occasions, and I was reminded of this the other night. We were thinking about it, but there were many times where Saul would try to kill David when he was playing the harp for him. You'd see that. But you know what you never see? Is you never see David picking up the spear or whatever and throwing it back at Saul. You know, that's a really important thing. Like, here's a guy, you know, like our first instinct is to defend ourselves, you know. But David never threw the spear back. He never tried to kill Saul back, even when he was in the middle of it. Um, but anyway, but so the first lesson there, I guess, is, is God had his hand on Saul, even though, and he, he removed that protection from Saul because of Saul's disobedience, but he was still chosen by God to be in that position. And so David honored that, and in so doing, honored the Lord. And recognized, too, that even though Saul had done wrong, Saul was created by God, and that God had love for him, and that because of those reasons, it was, it was not David's place uh, to treat him that way. And so that's important, because it's really easy for us in this day and age to start seeing people and others around us uh, as enemies if they begin to disagree with us about Christianity or about Christ or they begin to say things against us. And it's really, really easy, I think, in this day mm -hmm. and age when all we see between us and someone else sometimes is a screen. Mm -hmm. You know, we have Facebook or whatever, social media, we have a TV, we have whatever it is between us, and it's really easy for us mm -hmm. to begin dehumanizing other people because they disagree with us. You know, and they're not enemies in the same sense necessarily that they're trying to kill us, um, but uh, we begin to we begin to see them differently, and we're not treating them in that way. Now, it doesn't dismiss other people's behavior, 
but the reality of the situation should influence our reaction to their behavior. Seeing people the way that God sees them, learning the lesson that David did. God uh, loved Saul. David wanted to love him as well, and in so doing, honoring God in the midst of that uh, time. So I think that David's mourning here is genuine. Mm -hmm. It's real and genuine mourning. He is very upset about the situation. Uh, And also his execution of the Amalekite warrior here, or Amalekite opportunist, we'll call him, is also in line with God's will. You'd have to go back and read in 1 Samuel chapter 15 to remember again, Saul was supposed to destroy all of the Amalekites. This guy should not even be here to tell David what had happened or to even have opportunity to lie. Yeah, and also it's legitimate because... You know, he had killed the king mm-hmm. by, his own testimony, by his own he testimony. Had the yeah. king. He had killed the Lord's anointed. And as the new king now, mm-hmm. um, David had the authority to, to execute him. That's right. Yeah. So it wasn't like David said, well, I'm just going to kill you now. Mm-hmm. No, David was the king. He had yeah. that authority to That's right. have people executed. He did. He did. And he showed that, too. Mm-hmm. God had told Saul to destroy them. And if you remember, too, even further back, as the Israelites were coming out of the Exodus, mm-hmm. the Amalekites had attacked the rear of the Israelite company as they're marching from Egypt to the Promised Land. Now, who's at the back of this company, most likely? Women and children, and, and those that are slower to keep up for whatever reason. So the Amalekites... Uh, treated the Israel, uh, Israelites extremely mm-hmm. poorly uh, and attacked the weakest point there uh, during the battle uh, or during their march from uh, their exodus from Egypt to the promised land. And so uh, Saul was supposed to take care of it, and he didn't. And now this man has also said, I've killed the no- Lord's anointed. And so it seems like a really harsh reaction when you just read it, but it's really right in line with giving justice and what was given and what God's pronouncement of judgment was against the Amalekites as well. Now, we cannot do the same thing today, obviously, (laughs) in all situations necessarily, with our enemies. But what are some responses that we could or should have today to those that are in opposition to Christianity or in opposition to us? What are some responses that we could have today? What? That's, that's later on. You must have read my notes. That's a, I got that verse later on at the end. No, that's good, though, Mike. Yeah. What, what are some other things we can think about, though, the other, other thoughts or, or maybe some specific ways that we could think responses? Yeah, speak the truth in love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the one you're thinking about where she w- he was an, an SS guard and yeah. she came up? He, yeah. She, there was one of the SS guards that remembered her and came up to her at one of her things and he mm-hmm. was saved as a result of her reaction. So, yeah, it's... It doesn't make it an easy situation, but, um, you know, the reaction that we have, again, is in line with those bittersweet moments that we talked about at the beginning, and it's in line with uh, God sovereignly working all things through our, through, through our life and through history, you know, that he's at work all the time. And the way that we approach situations like this can lead to a person getting saved later on uh, or uh, a testimony for Christ that changes lives, you know, in faraway places. You never know how God is using it. Uh, And so um, 
in those moments, we wait for God and we wait on Him and allow Him to uh, work through the situation so that we have the proper response. And that's the other, that's the other lesson. We'll talk more about it later on is David's other response, not only in treating Saul honorably, even though Saul was dishonoring David, is that David waited for the Lord's timing. David was patient in this. I think the other thing the Amalekite war, uh, guy, opportunist, <laughs> probably thought was what anything else would happen, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the crown and here's the bracelets. These are symbols of royalty. What would a normal person do, right? Give me that thing. Mm-hmm. I'm the king, right? Put them bracelets on. Look at me. I've got the power now. That was probably what this guy was thinking was going to happen. And, and instead, he went into instant mourning, and, and all the people did, and he didn't put it on. He did not put it on himself, and he didn't even ask the people around him to put it on for him. He didn't, he didn't none of that. So he didn't celebrate that. Instead, he grieved with those. So he's waiting on the Lord's timing. And, and the response in waiting is hard, uh, but when we, when we follow God's timing, when we wait on God's timing, we're allowing ourselves to be open to his work uh, in our lives through those uh, bittersweet moments. And so we have this uh, account here going on. Uh, not only does David mourn, but we're going to read the next section here of 1 Samuel, uh, beginning in verse number 17, and we're going to see that David also composes a lament psalm. So let's go there to that part. Verse 17 to 27, we'll finish out the chapter. Then David chanted with his, with, excuse me, then David chanted with this lament over Saul and Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the sons of Judea the song of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. Your beautiful, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How have the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. On mountains of Gilboa, let not dew or rain be on you, nor fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and pleasant in their life, and in their death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How have the mighty fallen in the midst of battle? Jonathan is slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of a woman. How have the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? So we begin uh, here, and verse 19 through 27 is the actual lament song. And verse 17 and 18 kind of introduced the idea of that. So the second uh, point for tonight is David released his sorrow. David released his sorrow, and he makes this uh, psalm. Again, we're seeing David's emotion. We're seeing David's true feelings here uh, about that, showing that he really is a man after God's own heart. And that phrase is used a lot. It's actually first mentioned, not even about David. God just tells Samuel in, in, I think it's chapter 13 or 12 or somewhere around there, 1 Samuel, that God is looking for a man after his own heart. And it's only later on that that is kind of uh, revealed to be David and then uh, given that. But, but, you know, thinking about what is that, that phrase, it, it can mean a lot of different things, but David's looking for a man after God's own heart. I really, or God is looking for a man after his own heart. Uh, and, and, and God has that different standard. 
And I like what Matthew Henry says about it here. Um, thinking about that Amalekite messenger, that opportunist again, he judged David after his own standard. Mm-hmm. He said, what would I do in this situation if I was found out to be the king? I would rejoice. I'd put the crown on my head. I'm going to go give this stuff to David because that's what I would do in this situation. He judged David after his own standard. Uh, but God's standard is different. And David sought to follow God's standard of what's right and wrong in his life uh, rather than the standard that was typical, so to speak, or the typical response or the human response, the fleshly response uh, that is there. And sometimes when a person that we uh, dislike or maybe we consider them an enemy or whatever the case may be, if they have a bad day or they have something worse happen or whatever, we, we may be tempted in the same way to think wrongly about it. You know, like, well, they got what they reserve, mm-hmm. you know. And it's very, uh, um, uh, that would be the response that's there. But David instead judged after God's standard and realized that uh, mourning is the true thing. It's the right thing to do. So he instantly did that and he caused them. Um, He also taught the, and and we see it here, and it's kind of interesting wording and stuff, but taught the use of the bow. Mm -hmm. And and I, I read one commentary said, well, he taught the people of Israel how to use bow and arrow. Well, they probably already were doing that. Mm-hmm. They were probably already using bows and arrows in battle. What is the more likely thing is that this is the title of the song. Mm-hmm. It's the song of the bow, okay, is what is more likely. And that was other commentators said, said that's probably what's more likely, that he gave this song called the bow or the, or the bow of Jonathan or the song of the bow. Something of that nature uh, would be the title of it that's there. But it's a lamentation there. And not only that, he taught them to sing it. He made a psalm, and then he taught other people how to sing it, and he also had it recorded in a book called the Book of Jasher. And the Book of Jasher is mentioned here. It's also mentioned in Joshua 10, 13, and so you can read about it in those two places. And again, commentators looking at this are saying, well, this is probably a book of Hebrew poetry and writings that have been collected about the nation of Israel. Uh, Unfortunately, this is a book that's not around anymore. It's not an inspired book. It's not a part of the Bible or anything like that. Just a, just a book of writings about the state of Israel, about the history of Israel, uh, uninspired poems that were... Con- and, and this poem here, at least this much of the poem, uh, has been recorded for us here. But the book of Jasher itself would not be something that would be considered uh, part of the Bible. But it was an important book because it was around in the time of Joshua. And there they were recording the acts of valiant men then as they were in David's day as well. So it was a very important book to them uh, still. So we look at the meaning of it. Uh, and David begins by saying, how are the mighty fallen? You know, uh, he's not saying, ha ha, look at you. You're on the ground now. You know, how are the mighty falling? He's got true despair. He's got true love. And he says, don't tell it in Gath and Ashkelon. Of course, they already knew. The Philistines are the ones that eventually came upon the body of, we'll look at that in a minute. They're the ones that eventually came on the body of, Saul. But, but don't tell it there. Because why? Because they'll triumph in joy and they'll mock God for the death of the king and the death of the king's son. So don't tell him there. And then he says the same thing in verse 21. The mountains of Gilboa, that's where Saul died. Don't, don't have any dew and no rain should come upon you because the life that would come from the watering of the ground there would mock Saul's death. Uh, and so he's saying these things. No life should be there. And then there's an account of the bravery of Saul. Looking there at the end of verse 21, you know, the shield is cast away. 
The shield of Saul, as though he'd not been anointed with oil. Again, indicating that David recognized the anointing that God had put on Saul's life. From the blood of the slain, the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned back, the sword of Saul returned not empty. They, you know, talking about their battles and their victories that God had given them uh, in triumph. And then he talks about how they were lovely and pleasant in their lives. You know, you never see David bad-mouthing Saul in this whole thing. They're lovely and pleasant, and then their, light, and then their death they were together. Uh, and then he talks about, in verses, uh, the end of 24, all the way to the rest of the, uh, verse 26 anyway, talks about what Saul did that was good. Saul was able to bring in nice things into Israel. Spoils of war. He clothed the people with scarlet. He gave them delights. He has ornaments of gold. So weep for Saul and mourn because he did these great things. And then he repeats again, how are the mighty fallen in the midst of battle? And then he has this special line for Jonathan, who had a very deep friendship. Mike had mentioned that earlier tonight. A very deep friendship that they had uh, together. I think it's an interesting thing, and we don't have time to talk about it tonight, but just it's so interesting to me that Jonathan... Uh, was so at peace and knew that God's will was that David be the next king. Like, Jonathan is the one in line Mm -hmm. for the kingdom. But he just, he knew that God's will was for David to be the king, and he was a true friend to David in in, in the midst of all of those things. It's not, again, it's not a typical response. A typical human response would be, hey, this guy, if I kill him, then I'm the king, right? Mm -hmm. So, again, we see just a a really uh, deep and true friendship that's there. And there's a lot of emotion in this psalm. I don't think that this psalm was written because he had a duty to write it or he had a sense of loyalty or some kind of thing of that nature. I think David truly wrote this from his own heart. This is how he felt about them. And we can see that in his actions because, again, he never killed, he never, he had opportunity, but he didn't kill Saul himself. So he praised him uh, and he was grateful to Jonathan. He was very concerned about the honor of God uh, being uh, upheld even in the midst of this hard time. That was there. And we mentioned it already, but again, he had the idea that we're going to teach people how to sing this psalm and we're going to put it in a book. Now, what's the purpose of putting it in a book and teaching other people? Remembrance. Remembrance. We're not just going to sing this song today only and then forget it. We're going to keep rehearsing it. We're going to keep going over it and singing it even beyond just the present moment. And so it, it should cause us, this first chapter should cause us to say, you know, if we were in the same place as David, would we have reacted in the same way? You know, and, and how would we react to the news that David received? What would be our response? David's response was one of mourning and true love and, and, and honoring God and honoring the king uh, at the same time. So he has this bittersweet moment here. And after the mourning and after the psalm, now David has this opportunity before him because Saul is dead. He could probably go back home. But let's look at at, at chapter 2 here, just the first seven verses only as we close our study tonight. David returned to Judah, but go ahead and read 1 through 7, 2 Samuel 2, 1 through 7. Then it came about afterwards that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to one of the cities of Judah, Judea? And the Lord said to him, Go up. So David said, Where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also... um, Ahinoam. Whatever her name is, and Abigail, <laughs> uh, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. And David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household, and they lived in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judea came, and there anointed David king over the house of, Israel, of Judea. 
And they told David, saying, It was the men of Jabesh Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messages to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed of the Lord because you have shown this kindness to Saul your Lord and have buried him. Now may the Lord show loving kindness and truth to you, to you, and I will also show this goodness to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and also the house of Judea has anointed me king over them. Good. So uh, David here is, has had this period of mourning, uh, and now he, of course, wants to go back home. He doesn't want to stay outside of Israel any longer uh, and to deliver justice to the Amalekite who lied. And so he's ready. But he doesn't just leave and go. He's still waiting on God's timing. He's still waiting for God's direction and guidance in his life. So he prays to God, asking for that. And I think I like what, well, I like what David Guzik said about this particular situation, because if David had gone right away, how would that have appeared to people? Very opportunistic, wouldn't it? Greedy and, hey, I'm, you know, especially, you know, the situations and things that were going on there. Uh, and so David Guzik says this. He says, well, not being overly concerned with appearances before men, he was not unconcerned with appearances either. Uh, not only waiting on God's timing, but realizing that just going right back on his own would um, cause people to, to question that. So he says, where can I, can I go back home or not? And the Lord says, yeah, you can go back to Judah. Uh, and, and then, um, you know, he had asked him, where should I go? That's the second question. He said, go to the cities of Hebron, right there. So he inquires of the Lord uh, that he'd done that. He was ready. And I like some of the things that David Guzik had said about it in his commentary, but he had, if you go back again to 1 Samuel 30, and we won't, we won't read those verses tonight, but if you, if you take time and read it later on, we find out that David had a period of time where he had to encourage himself in the Lord. I think this is what was probably considered, what we may call it like a mini revival, you know, in preparation and getting ready, getting his heart ready here, because he had encouraged himself in the Lord because when the Amalekites came to Ziklag and took all of his possessions and all of his men, that would have been a very discouraging time for him. And I think that he had uh, this time period where he kind of gets himself right with God, and then he goes out to battle against the Amalekites. Uh, and so to be a man or to be a woman after God's own heart is to wait on God's timing and to be in the middle of God's will. That's what David wanted. He wanted to be in the middle of God's will. And, and in so doing, he inquires of God, where, what, what is the next step? And so notice also, too, that he brings all of his possessions, all of his men's possessions, everything. They all leave Ziklag, and they go back up. Now, what is that indicating to us? He's wholly committed, okay. He, he's not leaving again. He's going, and he's going to stay. You know, If you're going on a, a vacation... You take the clothes and things you need for the vacation, right? But you're going to come home. You're going to move somewhere. You're going to pack your whole house up and drive away, right? So there's, there's a big difference there. And David's not just on vacation. He's moving. He's going there. And he has an intention to stay. But he still waited for God. He still has not done what? What, is he not, what has he got in his possession that he hasn't done anything with it yet? Crown. The crown and the braces. He hasn't done anything with them yet other than hold on to them. He's still got that in his possession. And he's going into Judah into Hebron. So he has an intention to stay there, and he's still waiting for God, and he's also waiting on God to become the king. If you look again at those verses we just read, it's the men of Judah that took David and made him king. 
They're the ones that anointed him again. Uh, and, and this anointing was probably 15 to 20 years after David was first anointed as a young boy uh, by Samuel. And so he's anointed uh, king again, but he's waiting patiently. Now, David is only the king of Judah. That was mentioned several times in here. Um, Abner was a relative of Saul. They had survived the battle, and they made Ishbosheth, uh, a surviving son of Saul, king of the northern part. Okay? Uh, and so he, David, was not even king. He was king, but he wasn't even king of all of Israel when he started out. He'd waited for this, and he still had to wait even longer. We'll talk about that, the Lord willing, later on. Um, but here's the thing about being the anointing, the receiving the anointing. David had to be in the right place at the right time for this to happen. And so David had to be waiting on God's leading and guidance the whole time. There had to be this. If, if David had been anointed out of the country or some other place or in, in a different way, or if he'd put the stuff on himself, it would have been not God's timing, and it would have been an improper uh, thing for that to happen. God has a purpose and plan so I can imagine, again, thinking about those bittersweet moments. Here is the death of these people. David knows he's the king. He knows this is what he's been waiting for, but he, he can't do it on his own. He can't just go in and take, take what he wants because it's, it's got to be God's way. And so that, I think, should encourage us as well. There, there's a proper place for all things. And in God's sovereignty and in guiding our lives, waiting on him is that sign of spiritual maturity uh, to happen as well. And then David here, one more thing before we close our study tonight in these verses, has one more chance mm -hmm. again to honor uh, God by honoring Saul. Um, and we have this account of the men of Jabesh Gilead uh, had buried Saul. And you, would, you could read about this at the end of 1 Samuel chapter 31. What happened is in the battle, the Philistines eventually came upon where Saul had committed suicide. So he's there in the mountain. And they had mutilated his body and picked it up. And obviously the Amalekite came sometime between Saul dying and the Philistines arriving because the Philistines don't have the crown and the bracelets. The Amalekite did. So mm -hmm. sometime in between there. So he comes, they find Saul, they know who it is, and they cut off his head and they take him and Jonathan and the other sons and they go to Ascalon and they put their bodies on the wall of the city because that was a way that they showed victory over their enemies. Everyone coming into the city would see the body of the fallen king literally pinned to the wall outside mm -hmm. as they went into the city to show the victory that mm -hmm. was there. Well, what happened is the men of Jabesh Gilead at night had gone in and had taken down these bodies and then cremated them and then buried them properly, then fasted for seven days as a way of honoring Saul. And the reason it was Jabesh Gilead, does anybody remember this? If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 11, you can read that too. And Jabesh Gilead uh, was, in, was seized by the Ammonites, different group of people, the Ammonites. Uh, there was a lot of uh, ites, the, a lot of ites, but these are the Ammonites, and they had seized the area where Jabesh Gilead and these men were at many years ago when Saul was the king. And Saul, when he was doing better and was following God, had gone to Jabesh Gilead and had rescued these people from the Ammonites. Okay, and you can read about that in uh, 1 Samuel 11. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead are now have their opportunity to honor Saul and his sons by going there and doing that. So David has this opportunity, and he rewards these people as well for their loyalty to Saul. Again, showing that he's got a heart for God's honor, that he recognized Saul, uh, even though he was an enemy, was God's anointed, and it was important for David to honor him uh, in that way and treating Saul the way that 
God would want him to treat him instead. Also, Jabesh Gilead is north of the northern kingdoms, like geographically speaking. So now David's got some friends that are on the other side, <laughs> so to speak, of, of the northern kingdom there, and Ishbosheth and, and Abner. But anyway, but David is, he's, he's showing that there to us. And Mike had mentioned this too, but the verse is Matthew 5, 44. That's the one where Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Uh, that we've studied that in our uh, Sermon on the Mount study we did a couple of months back. And it's very difficult. It is hard at times to honor the, those people and to recognize um, the situation. I love Saul and Jonathan and, and, and later on Absalom. Those, those three people... Um, there's a book, if you ever want to read it, if you're ever going through a hard time, it's called Tale of Three Kings. And it really has a lot because it talks about Saul, it talks about David, it talks about Absalom. Because Saul was not following God, David was trying to follow God, Absalom was in rebellion to uh, David. It's just a really good book to, to, to kind of look at God's sovereignty and, and treating people in the right way. Because in those cases, David treated Saul properly, but he also treated Absalom, his son, in the right way as well. And we'll probably have time to look at that later on in this study. Uh, as we go through Second Samuel, but but the idea there is that we're waiting on God, we're we're following what God would have us to do in these situations, knowing that He is working through all those things in the difficult times, to and it shows and displays the heart of God uh, to others. And and again, what can come of that? We don't know on this side of eternity. Maybe what can come of our proper reaction uh, to the situations of our life that come up. David's achieved the throne. This is where we're ending this lesson here. He's achieved the throne, but only Judah. Uh, he's waited a long time for this, and he's still honoring his enemies as he waits for God's timing. And so we should, in the, in, in the same way, we need to take the lessons from that. How can we honor those? And so being honoring to God, surrendering our will to God so that he can work in our heart and life in the same way, being faithful disciples who demonstrate who God is by the actions that we have and being Christ-like in how we handle those uh, enemies, so to speak, of our life and waiting on God through the bittersweet moments of time. Um, any final thoughts or anything as we close this part of our study?